The idea is, is that you want to inject the solution right there before the major growth occurs. If you do it at the right time, you have a rocket ship that you can jump on. They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock, taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. What's happening, peeps? Hello, everybody. It is your favorite podcast. It's mine, at the very least. Thoughts That Rock, where we look at current challenges or just interesting tidbits where we get incredible thoughts of advice from guests. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just us. Sometimes. Sometimes. Today it was not. Today it was definitely <laughs> not. Today my eyes rolled into the back of my head several times because this dude is so smart. <laughs> it's true. I'm I mean, like, I like eggs. <laughs> <laughs> that could have just been one of our responses, right? It's funny. We, uh, you know, the topic really came from our guest, you know, and we said, how can we understand the difference between a trend and a fad. And there actually uh-huh. is a difference. And um, so we found our good friend, Paul Barron. I say, you know, at least my good friend, I've known him for a long time. This guy is a tech and, and media executive. He's a genius mogul. in a lot of ways, a yes. mogul, mostly in uh, consumer science data platforms. And and I know in the <clears throat> blockchain now for a decade, Web 3.0 is definitely where yep. he's playing right now. Yep. Um, I knew him mostly in the restaurant industry and from the National Restaurant Association. But man, he is just, he's had tons of TV shows, podcasts, uh, different web forums. Yeah. And and I just think he's been a trendsetter in so many ways. He really has been in front of some things that maybe didn't work out and they were fads, but most of them have, he's recognized a trend. And so, you know, it's the perfect marriage of the topic and the person, but Oh my gosh, there's a lot going on in this episode. There's no doubt about it, right? <laughs> and it's really, it's a lot, but it's amazing information. It totally is. And yeah. it really, for those who might find themselves, you know, on the on the front end of a fad um, or wondering if what they're doing is actually going to stick around long enough to become a trend, this is, this is the episode for yeah. that. Yeah. And I'm on the front end of some fat. Are you? You did say fat, right? Fad, I oh, said. Fat. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Check this out. There he is, my good friend, Paul Barron, in his own house. What's up, Paul? Yeah. How's it going, yeah. man? I'm doing great this morning. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. It's been uh, This will be fun. Yeah, us too. I mean, obviously, from the introduction, and I was trying to explain to Brand all the things that you've been involved with, and I've just known you predominantly from my restaurant background, and we've seen mm-hmm. each other at the, the NRA show. That's the restaurant show yes. not the rifle association right. just right. To be clear. yep right yep we always have to make that delineation but man we know uh that the topic here was pretty interesting we were we were talking about what would be a great topic for paul because he's so well versed and and to have this idea of how to understand the difference between a trend and a fad man we we couldn't think of anybody better because of because of you, I mean, you're involved in a lot of trends. Let's just start there. And, uh, you you seem to be in the forefront of a lot of that. So man, we're, we're happy that you're here. We're just going to turn it over to you, brother. What is your first thought that rocks on how to understand, uh, you know, a trend versus a fad? 
Well, I think for your for your audience, the one of the things I want to kind of give a baseline on is just some of the trends that I've been involved in and have been able to identify early enough, I think, within a certain level. You know, when I got out of school, college, I, you know, basically had two choices. I could either join the FBI or join Microsoft. Literally, that was what was happening. I was being recruited by both these these entities. And uh, I chose the tech route. Went to, went to Microsoft, thought, you know, I love technology. Computer science was my background. And uh, just dove into it, learned a lot about. And my first job was the hospitality industry. And mm -hmm. that was really what got me set up in connecting to food. Uh, but computer science was kind of led us to it. And I spent about five years with uh, the team out there at Microsoft and Redmond. And then what happened was I was working with all these uh, retail brands and um, I noticed there was this underlying thing that was happening in the space. And it was this very interesting segment that was unnamed at the time. Now it's called fast casual. And um, I said, you know, I think I could help these guys with at least the technology because all these operators that I was talking to, whether it was Panera you looked at the early stages of Starbucks. We were working with them directly. And I said, I think my tech background would really help them, you know, to kind of go to the next level. So I started as a small consulting business and that, that business basically fell on its face. <laughs> and, uh, and I learned, you know, you learn very quickly that you left a high paying job to go into business for your own self. And, and you know, it kind of just goes away. So, uh, so that was one trend that did not work out for me, but the side effect was this thing called fast casual. So I, I took a, um, a rando, uh, and that was started developing a website called fastcasual.com. And, uh, at the time everybody was kind of just, you know, what is this, uh, it isn't the same as fast food. So it was really understanding the early markers of mostly consumer and operator shifts that were occurring. That was kind of the identifying these early trends. You know, when you, when you look at trends, there are always early markers. Many people will kind of just brush them off as, you know, it's, it's in this particular case it might be a fad or in some cases they might be looking at it as, you know, other components of other trends that are already underway. Okay. And uh, fast casual was one of those that had some very interesting early markers and the markers that I identified at least in that time period was this consumer connection. And there was a real unique difference between consumers that went to fast food and consumers that went to Panera bread. Panera bread was one of the real first icons uh, that were growing, you know, and what Ron shake had been able to do uh, was he did something very unique. He started, I lived in Texas at the time and he started really franchising in the central United States. And one of the things that you notice quickly in the demographics was that if you can make it in Oklahoma city, or you can make it in the middle of, of, you know, middle America, you might have something that could work on the coasts. Yeah. So Panera was really good about that. I had been French or uh, consulting with Panera uh, when I had started the consulting business, I said, Hey, listen, I'm thinking about starting a media company and I want to, I want to focus on this little thing I've called fast casual. And everybody was kind of just looking at it as, 
it's just a form of fast food. You know, it's never going to be anything. Uh, McDonald's will eat their lunch. There's no way this will ever be anything. I had so many operators telling me this. And then I, I got a chance to meet up with a handful of mind, uh, I think, minds in the industry that really started to change at least how I perceived food. And one uh, was Steve Ells, Steve Ells of Chipotle, when he had three units, three units, Chipotle. And uh, I met him at his restaurant in Denver for the first time. And then I started piecing together these very unique characters in the industry. Ron Shake, you know, Panera Bread. Uh, Greg Dollarhide was over at Baja Fresh when it was a very small brand. All of these operators started coming together. And then I realized there's something here and there seems to be an underlying swell. So it was consumer and the business executives that were trying to fill the need. Those are the two markers that really you had to identify early on to find out if it is a fad or a trend. Typically what will happen in the fad, because I've seen a lot of fads come and go, is that one of those sides will break down. Either the consumer side demand will break down or the executive side supply will break down. And that's when it is truly a fad and, mm -hmm. and it will, it'll have its runtime and it just goes away and it will never see sustainability. Now there are trends like fast casual that will be very, very slow, a slow burn kind of thing. And it's usually because of how society or technology is able to embrace it. And that's the thing that Fast Casual was very unique on. You know, we started the website, um, but it took a decade for that website to get to a point where it became the industry standard. We were then acquired. So we joined in with NetWorld Alliance at the time. I brought in QSR uh, Web and also FastCasual.com. We merged those media companies into NetWorld. And right. now you have the Fast Casual Executive Summit, which we started, the Fast Casual Alliance, which was transferred over to the National Restaurant Association, the Fast Casual Top 100. All those were born under our, um, our leadership when we, when we launched it. So those are the two things that I would say when anybody's looking at trends versus fads is if the consumer demand is there and engagement, it can't just be you know, a TikTok moment. It has to be something that really has connection. And there are amazing innovators over on the business side trying to solve the problem. When you have those two magical components, you now have a trend and it's no longer a fad. And that was really what kind of born into fast casual. You know, other, other areas that kind of worked in this for me was in 2006 uh, we launched our first podcast. Mm -hmm. Now it was called podcast grill <laughs> and it was a lot. Everybody made fun of this. I mean, it was, you should have seen the ribbing that I got, you know uh, it was so bad. And all the executives in, in our team, cause I was kind of the young kid and I was bringing in all this tech, you know, he's a Microsoft guy. Sure. He understands this tech guy. He knows what RSS is. He, he gets it. And, um, the podfather himself, the guy who pretty much created RSS, uh, is a guy by the name of Adam Curry. Now, Adam Curry and I hooked up at a conference one time uh, in 2005, 6, and he was in the process of 
transferring the IP to Apple. Hmm. This is the guy that handed Steve Jobs RSS. Hmm. I kid you not. That was the birth of it. And that was the guy that pretty much set me on the idea that decentralized media would be one day the evolution of where media would go. Yeah. And, um, you know, even my team that I was working with there at NetWorld, they just said, hey, there's no demand. And he was right. You had only a handful of executives. So there was where a fad could have broken down. Yeah. And in fact, a podcast has been called a fad many times, you sure. know, throughout its career of uh, development. And only really in the last uh, eight years has podcasting become a standard. And it was because the two magical things occurred, mm. consumer connection yeah. and demand and executives, you know, or thought leaders like yourselves that said, hey, we have something that we can deliver to these people over here. Yeah. And that was kind of an interesting time, uh, you know, in, in podcasting for me, we launched podcast grill. We were the yeah. only podcast in the restaurant industry. Wow. One, wow. one <laughs> podcast in the entire restaurant industry. Yeah. And, uh, it was fun. We launched it. And of course, from there we kept growing, you know, fast casual at the time. It was pretty crazy. So f first off, um, Brant, I want you to start calling me the pod, pod father. Pod father. Yeah, <laughs> what a great title. I want, I want something like that. I'm going to call that, you. That, is, that, that one is reserved for Mr. Curry. It, yeah, somebody else really, already has this that This guy one. is the real deal. You know, and when you were, so a couple things. Um, first off, um, I, you know, I initially wrote down, you know, identify the early markers. And mm -hmm. my question would have been, what are those markers? You've already said that. I mean, the two, yep. if you've got the combination of consumer engagement and a group of innovators or executives, like you said, that are solving problems. If those two things are happening or happened, then you've got a trend. So I think that that does help. I think the you know explain to people the difference between the two. And I can tell you when um, you know I was involved in a fast casual restaurant on the side. Once I left my my executive day job working at Hard Rock, I got into the fast casual pizza business because. That has that was just starting, I want to say 10, 12 years ago with Blaze yep. Pizza, Mod Pizza. They yep. were really the only two big dogs. There were a couple of smaller ones, but who were you uh, working I with? and a couple of my friends wound up doing one in Canada, which is sort of the Canadian brand up there of fast casual pizza called Score. And I okay. you know, and a lot of people don't know this, but you know, pizza is one of those categories that really hadn't changed in decades. Mm -hmm. Today, I think the the term is is more endearing as a sector because the consumers have finally caught up in mass mm -hmm. to understand what fast casual is. Even I hear, you know, kids in our church and, you know, things like that, that will say, Hey, let's go get fast casual. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Part a a teenager right said that word. Yeah. <laughs> so they understand what Chipotle is. You know, they understand yeah. that there's a higher level of quality. Uh, you know, five years ago, even 10 years ago, no one would have ever said that. So yeah. this gets back to, it's a term now that has been accepted in society and it's identified a special sector of the restaurant sector now at around 70 billion in revenue. So, you know, when we launched Fast Casual, there was uh, 19 restaurant concepts that we could identify. Uh, and, you know, you can imagine we're, we're talking just a few hundred million dollars in revenue 
where now it's at you know seventy billion in in the sector. Amazing. Pretty crazy. I think we're we're seeing that again now, at least in the last year or so, eighteen months with Nashville hot chicken, right? So the the, yep. the hot chicken trend now is is starting to really gain you know, momentum and, and we're seeing, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it, that, that might be the, the latest I can think yeah. of sort of in that fast, casual, maybe community. pokey bowls before that. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but the, the business that we had, I loved it because I think now fast, casual as customizable, you know, mm -hmm. you can certainly go in and sit down and, and order pizza in 20, 30 minutes. It'll come, or you could order it online. It'll be there in 30 minutes. But right. to have a 800 to a thousand degree oven and you get to go down the line and pick exactly what you want. They throw in that oven and in three <laughs> minutes, you got a, a really good pizza. <laughs> it blows my mind that that's possible. And I just, I wonder where else it's going to take us. What other section of the industry it's, it's going to attack, but it's fun. And the fact that you were a part of all that and really started and in, in labeling and was involved in it. I mean, it just, it just goes to show your success, man. Yeah, it was a good time. I mean, we we launched uh, we launched Fast Casual Nation, which was the first documentary on yep. the sector. Uh, that was in 2013. Uh, we documented all the industry icons. Did a full documentary. It's on Amazon, so you guys check it out. Just Fast Casual Nation. And then I wrote the book in 2010, which was called Chipotle Effect. Uh, I drafted it. The, for the first time, I wrote it twice. I wrote the first book in twenty uh, in two thousand six and seven, and it was a different name. And then Chipotle began to literally just explode in two thousand seven, eight, and nine. Remember, this is right around the uh, the economic crunch that yeah. we took, yeah. and Chipotle did something that I talk about all the time, and that is seizing the moment. When things look like they're going south, the guys who kind of go into the headwinds are the ones that absolutely just eat the markets. And that's what yeah. Chipotle did. So I said, okay, this is a different kind of model now because now we saw a Titan literally being built. And I said, okay, we've got to change the name of the book. Let's rewrite, you know, six chapters. Took me another year to get that done more interviews, all that kind of stuff. Rewrote the book, called it a Chipotle effect. And we launched it in 2010, actually uh, debuted at the national restaurant show in 2010. I think that's, that's 13 I years copy. ago. I have my signed copy. Yeah. 13 years ago. It's crazy. Time's flying. Crazy. Listen, we'll be right back after this message. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. All right, brother, give us your second thought that rocks on this. How, how, to, understand a, a, how to understand a trend versus a fad. All right, so 
there, you know, when you kind of look at the early markers, those are, are very key in identifying certain elements of trends. The other one that I use a lot is a thing I call the adoption curve. Now, because I grew up in Silicon Valley and got a chance to live through dot bomb, mm-hmm. uh, 2000, year 2000, 1999, I was in Silicon Valley as a young engineer, uh, and I understood what that meant. And really, we started to see these adoption curves. I stayed there, um, you know, when I saw the evolution of where all this was was shifting, when you look at what happened post 2000, I had separated, started going into the consulting career. And but I still had a lot of friends in, in the Valley. And we started to see all these great companies just dying on the vine. Obviously, at that time, it, you know, it was like a seven trillion dollar write down in, in, uh, in the mm-hmm. S&P from all these publicly traded, you know, blue sky companies, you know, know every dot-com you can imagine existing. And I thought, okay, wow, this could be a fad or we could be at the beginning of an adoption curve. And that's what really what happened was when you get through the rubble of something like what happened in 2099, there's a handful of survivors that, end up on the other side. Now, sometimes these survivors make it, sometimes they become something unique. But when you look at the history of the tech uh, emergence over the past 25 years, the companies that survived in that period of time were the ones that went on to essentially dominate Silicon Valley. And that includes Amazon, Google. If you look back and really prior to Google, it was Alta Vista, you know, all the GeoCities, all the different search engines, the the wall gardens that were happening, Odeo, which was trying to launch, which then eventually became Twitter. All of those companies were in that era. And the adoption curve is really the identifier. And it's exactly, if you ever go look, and I'll recommend this to your listeners and viewers, go look at the, the adoption curve of the internet. It's out there. You'll see this, this little bell curve that occurs. And there's a point in that adoption curve where you are either too early or too late. Hmm. It's a very magical position. If you're too early, you die. Hmm. MySpace, too early. Yeah. yeah. Facebook, third company in that sector, perfect timing. Yeah. Facebook rules. Or you come in and you're too late. You're behind the eight ball and you haven't adopted fast enough and you've put yourself at risk, Oracle versus Amazon Web Services. Oracle adopted too late. Not that Oracle's a bad company, great company, but they're not the titan that AWS is. And and these are the things that I think um, any business can look at, adoption curve, and everybody has a different adoption curve measurement because you have different markers for every industry, but you could do this in real estate, medical, you name the industry, there's always going to be an adoption curve of something in there that's driving trends. Uh, and it will, you, you have to be able to identify those if they truly are curves that you can pinpoint uh, and see if there's growth. And it usually happens when the market is very nascent. Like, you know, So right now we have uh, a media company that, I, could, I can't even really call it a media company. We're a content company. And Rever Network sets on top. We have we have four properties. We have PBN3. We have a new property called Saver.fm. Uh, and then we have Fast Casual Nation and Chef AF. Those are the four properties. 
And um, one of the things that we identified early was this early adoption area of, remember, identify markers, consumer demand, adoption of consumers, and uh, thought leaders, executives, et cetera, trying to solve the problem. That's happened in a few areas of what we call decentralized media. And decentralized media has been something I've been working on for probably two decades, but there's never, the technology had not caught up. The, there was no demand. So you didn't have this side. You had a handful of, of um, well, as Steve Jobs would say, the crazy ones mm -hmm. out here that were trying to build stuff, thinking so far out in the future, but they weren't building to an audience that existed yet. Well, that audience today exists. It exists on Substack, TikTok, social media, and podcasts. Those are decentralized platforms, all of which, if you think about the podcast alone, the brilliance of just podcasting, that's an RSS. It's not controlled anywhere. Yeah. You own that RSS. You can point it in any place you want. It's no longer centralized. Uh, and that's where media has gone for the last four decades. Uh, and it's really... If you look at traditional media, and we'll call it the mainstream media, you know, New York Times, you know, traditional publications, Business Insider, we'll stay on the business side. You could flip over to consumer product and, you know, from Slate Magazine and on. All those are centralized locations. And this gets back into the adoption curve. The adoption curve is this point in which there's enough critical mass to be able to seek adoption at the time in which you inject solution. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if anybody, if we're watching video, but I'm using my hands here. Yep, we are. And the idea is, is that you want to inject the solution right there before the major growth occurs. If you do it at the right time, you have a rocket ship that you can jump onto. And that's one of the things that, you know, we think is about to happen right now in media. Uh, all of this around TikTok and what's happening uh, with TikTok but also with Elon buying Twitter, it's shifted kind of the dynamic of how that will change. Most likely, I feel like, you know, his X.com model is going to be really the future of where he's going with that, which will be payment and integration. If you follow Noster, uh, which is Jack Dorsey's company, mm -hmm. they've evolved into a decentralized platform for social media. All of the early markers are starting to show up. Go back to point one, early markers identify if there is people there requesting demand and if there's innovators that are supplying it, then come back in and apply the adoption curve model. And you have, uh, you have the next secret on, um, you know, trend versus fad. Where, where do you think our adoption curve is? The thoughts at rock. Uh, I think we're still waiting. <laughs> I think we came in early and we waited too long. <laughs> when did you guys, I'm kind of curious, Jim, when did you guys start the podcast? We've had it for about four years. We started See, you're it. Early. Um, pre, you're early. You're yeah, early. We're early. And it was pre COVID. So thank goodness. Yep. Cause it gave us an outlet to talk about mm -hmm. it. And I think, I, I don't know the exact numbers now, Brant and I were talking about this, but I know for a fact, when we first started, that there were something like 500,000 unique podcasts on the planet when we started. And we were oh. like, oh my gosh, <laughs> look at all that. And it's already saturated. And this came off of the, what was the fiction podcast that everybody was? Serial. Which one? Serial. Yeah, Serial, yeah. of course. Yeah. 
And so we, when we created it, um, a, literally a year later, there were 750,000 unique podcasts. And now there's something like 3.5, 4, 4 million. million. Yeah. So, you know, COVID gave everybody an excuse and a platform a to at least get their, their own content out there. But yeah, we've had it and we've had different variations. And we love now that we're talking about topics that are helping solve problems or helping people with issues in their life or just basic understanding of whatever. And in our case, in your case, you know, this is a very unique, but there are people that are in our audience that this is what they do. They try and get ahead of yeah. the trends of the fads. And maybe even my question different, maybe not thoughts at rock, but you think about our, our book marketing app that we have called Buki Call. Where would you think that is? Because people that use it love it, but there are so many people that don't know anything about it. And it almost seems like you're making a good point, Paul, about having that infusion, that marketing. Once you get enough people, and I don't know where the curve is, yeah. but I feel like we're right on the cusp of somebody going, oh my God, I can't believe you guys have this thing. And it's mm-hmm. a, it's the greatest way to discover books, right? Well, Paul, I, this, I'd, I'd be curious to get your thought on this. So I, I understand what you're saying. I agree actually with it, with everything you're saying. My question becomes, so let's, let's use Buki call as, as an example where we are doing something that hadn't been done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we created an app that is basically a dating app for books. Yeah. So people sign up, they create their profile. They tell us the types of books they want. And then the algorithm matches them. The swipe left, right thing. That's exactly yep. it. Yep. Swipe <laughs> okay. right. And and you can right. take that book on a date. Um, and uh, you know, now the app you can have a bookshelf and you can rate Love the it. books and all, all all sorts of things. And we've had you know, almost four hundred thousand downloads. We have about sixty-five thousand monthly active users now. So, you know, it's uh we we are still early, but the the challenge becomes when the industry has a way that they've always done it Mm -hmm. and they don't quite understand what it is that you're doing even with the great numbers even with the great reviews they Mm -hmm. still are really hesitant to adopt because they're so used to well look this is what we've done and a book comes out and we've got 12 weeks to promote this thing and then it's dead or it's you know so it's it's a very different approach it is not the Amazon, we're going to do a little banner ad and we're going to run that ad or we're going to pay BookBub or we're going to do, you know, there's so many different ways to launch uh, your your book in this day and age, but they are all competing with whatever else is in front of your eyes at that moment. So if yeah. there's 10 other ads in front of that screen, what's going to get that particular person to look at your little banner ad that goes across? Whereas what we are doing is basically the equi- the digital equivalent of putting somebody in front of every door at Barnes and Noble and saying, do you want to add this to your to be read list? Yes or no. You can't come in until you give us this answer. Um, and and so that is a completely new idea in book marketing yeah. um, that that we are early and we have been early for the last 18 months that we've launched this thing. And it now it's just sort of, can you, it, what we've come to realize is with startups especially, why are these startups raising three, four, five million dollars? Um, and it's it's to be able to sustain that exactly gap between yeah. early adoption and that moment, right? It is. It's a timing uh, scenario. You know, we we almost fast casual almost died before it ever came to life. Hmm. 
you know, cause we were, it was a two man team. I had an editor and we were writing and we were just pushing as hard as we could. And I mean, you felt like there, there was just something there, but we couldn't identify it just yet. And, you know, we were at the, we were at death's door and I was like, we're not getting any advertisers cause we're too small. We're not able to crack the, the glass ceiling of trade publications, which ruled the land in the restaurant industry, ruled the land, you know, nation's restaurant news, oldest publication ever known to man. I think the cavemen actually read that magazine. <laughs> and, uh, when it was weekly, you know, when that, that was a weekly rag that yeah. came out in the industry. I don't know if you remember those days, uh, Jim, but, but that was my point is that you, you get in that phase of, uh, do you quit because you are too early? And there's been so many companies that have done what Substack, a good example, mm -hmm. Substack was done before. It just never got the chance to see the technology adoption. It goes back to point one. If you don't have the critical mass movement in place yep. and you've got enough of the thought leaders coming in to inject the solution or back to your point, uh, Brant, is that you may, you could be early. You And listen, it's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing if you want it to win, but it's it's a good thing if you're like, this is bettering society and or technology going forward. Mm -hmm. And I know that we'll always be looked at as the people who launched this concept. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that founders need to be aware of when they're willing to go into the arena like that. Yeah, You have to know that you may end up with egg on your face. Yeah. And- it's tough because we're, you know, I'm kind of in that space again. Um, you know, I have to compliment you, Jim, you know, reinventing yourself is a very hard thing to do. And you've been able to do that. I think with what, you know, thoughts that rock, you know, your speaking program, the evolution of where you came from the restaurant industry to where you are today is much different than what most people that know you from the restaurant industry yeah. There's people out there that know you now from not the restaurant industry. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. I think the key there is making sure that you reinvent the product uh, on a constant basis. And this is something that people get kind of sideways on because they're so concerned about brand. And I hear the brand pitch so much from marketing people. And I'm like, yeah. guys, I don't think you understand brand anymore because mm -hmm. brand has shifted from it used to be brand lived within the consumer's mind, but because there's so much choice now, brand has started to splinter into so many places. And even the best and the most, you know, titanic shift of brands has really started to change because of the way that mainly the under 30 crowd is starting to consume content. So if you have a product or a app in your case that has that, that addictive nature that TikTok does or one of the other social media platforms around books for the under 30 crowd, especially if you get into the uh, group that is kind of emerging on the internet right now, there's a new sector on the internet. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, that are these knowledge hounds. They are absolutely just soaking up book after book after book. And there's a, there's a new, um, there's a new sector of the under 30 population that are separating from the rest. And I call them the warrior class of what's happening. These are the people that are going to run the world mm -hmm. and they're starting to pop up on YouTube. 
obviously Twitter, Substack, et cetera, uh, because they've been given all of these vehicles for voice yeah. that they never had before. Yeah. And because they have the ability to learn anything in a matter of six weeks, you know, yeah. so it's changed the dynamic of how people are educating themselves. So I think you, you're very early get, you know, and that's where innovators and, and great minds have to kind of admit to themselves. I had to do that with fast casual. I had to do that with, with mobile websites. Hmm. I fought tooth and nail to try to get our media companies to adopt to mobile responsive websites a decade ago. Now, today, you would be laughed at if you didn't have a mobile responsive yeah. website. Uh, so I think it's just um, you're you're in that fad phase right now. You're yeah. you're in it. You're living what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. I don't want to be a fad. Yeah. <laughs> we want to be a trend. We actually do talk about this all the time, um, and we'll get to your third thought here in just a sec. But you know, with the possibility, who knows what's going to happen in this country with TikTok. Um, could it, it'll be devastating for so many people, but it could be a game changer for others. For us, we we've used uh, they call them book talkers. You know, they're mm -hmm. actually influencers, book reviewers, if you will, that that play in our space. That would be great. Well, there are a lot of companies um, that are that that put a lot of credibility in them, and there's certainly a lot of people that are looking for their next great read that will listen to a book talker. If, if TikTok. TikTok goes away, what does that mean? I mean, who, what platform is available that's doing short form video, either going back to an older version or somebody new is going to come along and how can we jump on and, and being cautious about it? You don't want to spend a lot of time and energy and effort and rigor and money. And all of a sudden that's a fad. Um, so, so these are, these are conversations that we have all the time. We yeah. just know that it's such an unbelievably great product. Um, and you're right. We are early, I think, as as entrepreneurs, as founders of the thing. So it's a matter of can we stretch it out long enough for that curve? Somebody, a group of innovators, somebody's going to come along and go, yeah. that's awesome. I want yeah. that as a part of my portfolio or right. I want to throw money right. onto the thing or whatever it is. Oh, so. on the back end, too. Now you've got YouTube shorts, you've got Instagram mm -hmm. reels, you've got right. all, everybody trying to do their version of TikTok because it's been such <gasps> a, a behemoth. But, you know. Paul, to your point, some of them are a little too late to the game um, and it's hard, you know, so they're, they're incentivizing creators to jump ship to their platforms right. and giving them better rates and better returns and all these different, you know, Pinterest is doing the same thing now. So a lot of these social platforms are, are obviously have seen the success that TikTok has brought and they're trying to, to create their own version, but they're having a really difficult time competing um, when it still is, is the gorilla in the room. Yeah. TikTok is an interesting animal because uh, it's it's right now being used as a political pawn in yep. what's happening. Yep. Uh, when you look at what lawmakers are trying to do in terms of positioning it, the likelihood of TikTok getting banned, I still, I'm kind of on the fence with this one because I think there it, it's a bad thing if we have a, a foreign government collecting data on Americans. That That's bad. I think we all agree with that. But at the same time, I'm very pro um, freedom of speech. speech yeah. And and if you have a company, if you if you abide by the laws, if they if ByteDance you know flips this into a U.S. based company, I mean we have a lot of companies ran in the United States by foreign nationals. 
Let's yeah. just say what it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Saudis are in Twitter pretty deep. Yep. We have, uh, you know, we have the um, Asian population running a lot of media. We have, uh, we have a lot of people outside the United States that control a lot of what's happening in the banking industry, the media industry, and all this. I think it boils down to one thing for TikTok. They got too big too fast, and they have invaded something that is the power base of, we'll just say it, the power base of uh, political um, finance. And, and what I mean by that is Google, YouTube, one company, Facebook, Twitter to accept, they're, they're somewhat ostracized right now from the, the conversation, but, but still uh, within it. And and still at a at a phase right now where I think right now it's it's more on the the likelihood of Twitter. I mean, I'm sorry, Google, YouTube, and Facebook uh, that have so much to lose if TikTok wins this battle of short form. Uh, and because of that, it changes the dynamic of how much money goes into the lawmakers' coffers for campaigns, etc. Yeah. So I think those are the this is the where it gets a little bit of uh, sideways with me because I'm very pro as I said, you know, pro-freedom speech. Sure. And as long as it's done right and it's abiding by the U.S. laws, I don't care. You know, yeah. everybody has a voice and please use it. I don't care, yeah. you know, what you say as long as, as you're not, you know, creating some sort of craziness, you know, firing a crowded theater kind of thing. But the point being is that, uh, and I'm going to answer your question because I think what you're getting at is, is our third point here is, you know, how to position your business in front of fads. Yeah, you know, how do you do that? Okay, so what you guys are dealing with right now is you're in that mode where you could position in front of this what what is could be a fad right now for the book industry. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, we're in the same boat right now with our our network called PBN and PBN three is um, two years ago I took a a flyer away from our our new platform our platform that we spent the decade building called Foodable. And Foodable, uh, we're making a big announcement here today on the show, mm, is positioning your business in front of a fad. So we're doing it. We're actually going to walk the walk that we talk. Mm-hmm. And Foodable will be dissolved as a company. Wow. Okay. The reason is because we have media products that lived inside the network for the last decade that became so big individually. Fast Casual Nation became so big. Chef AF became so big. And uh, the Restaurant Report, many of the other podcasts could live on their own as their own thing. They don't even need a network any longer because they got to a critical mass level. So we launched uh, Saver FM, which is our new decentralized um, content platform. Decentralized content. That's what we want to focus on. So eventually... All of our content will live in in the ether. It's going to live on Substack, on Spotify, on mm-hmm. iTunes, on TikTok, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we're going to reach the audience where they are rather than trying to draw the audience to a centralized location, which is what sense. .com has been about forever. Yeah, sure. So positioning your business in front of fads, and we may be moving out too early. You know, we, I'm willing to take that as a risk and saying we may be going too early here because there's not anybody in the, in our industry that's doing this. 
in the blockchain industry, people get this a hundred percent. They understand what decentralized versus centralized means, uh, even in the finance system. And what taught me this was, uh, two years ago, almost three, when COVID happened, it almost destroyed foodable. Uh, our advertising revenue went to almost zero in literally a matter of 90 days. What we had spent eight years building was almost gone. Uh, we fortunately we were a podcast network, uh, but it, it shut down all of our on location filming that was gone. We no longer film on location. Uh, we had these six great podcasts that were, you know, we're so, so on growth and it was a blessing in disguise because all of those shows exploded. Yeah. Restaurant report became, I mean, that's a hundred thousand subs now. Fast casual nation, 70,000 subs. Chef AF goes from 4,000 subs to like 32,000 subs. I mean, you're talking almost 10 X in this period. And, and so really what happened was, is it created this new, almost media properties that were splitting off of what foodable was and becoming their own ecosystem. Uh, so we launched on Substack this year and oh my God, Substack changed the game because their block networks existed a decade ago, wow, 15 years ago. And now you've got Substack now where people are sharing content from one blog to another. International search, they've cracked the code for SEO. They basically have taken the book of social, content, blog, podcast, and wrapped it up into one place. So they're really in a good position, I think, to become the next TikTok for media decentralized media distribution because you own all your content you can download everything from there and redistribute that down the road if you decide to go to another platform like ghost or something like that so uh positioning your business out in front of these fads sometimes you know it takes some some huevos you got to be able to be willing to do something that not many people are willing to do and uh, we're going to be doing it with saver uh, Fast Casual Nation is now launched on Substack. Um, in a matter of 30 days, it went from uh, three countries and 21 states to uh, 39 states and 14 countries in a matter of 30 days because of discoverability. Same thing with podcasts, discoverability on Spotify, discoverability on iTunes. This creates yeah. new audiences that in many times you don't even know where they're coming from till you get the demo data. So... Uh, we see this as really uh, the next generation of how content will be delivered is decentralized. So no one platform can take you down. If Twitter goes down, no problem. Yep. Now, hey, listen, if it all goes down, we're all in the shit. But, <laughs> but if, if TikTok gets banned, not a problem. You know, you've got you flipped over to or you have a, a presence on YouTube or on podcast. Yep. Uh, so I think that's the key with businesses is you have to be able to really risk the willingness to grow over the next decade. Uh, because there's going to be so much in the, in the way of innovation tech AI is a big part of our business. We're building an algorithm system, uh, right now that will help us identify platforms based on AI analytics that are working better so we can apply pressure to that platform. So if it's, if it's TikTok doing better, if it's Spotify doing better, you know, iTunes doing better, whatever it might be, um, 
we can pressure rather than in the old days when you're building a media property, it was just, how do we get more views to our website.com? Right. And to me, that era is dead. Yeah. The dot-com era yeah. I think is over. I think decentralized web three and the future of where that's going to go with people owning their identity and their control of their data. Yep. This will shift things in the next decade for sure. Well, I think this is, uh, you know, certainly gutsy, but it's smart, but I wouldn't expect anything different from you. I, again, I think <laughs> you've been in front of a lot of these things. You've been successful at all of them and you've reinvented yourself and, and sort of added layers throughout the probably 20, 25 years that I've known you. I, I think we're somewhat similar on a micro scale. You know, I, I don't know if you know, Brian is also a keynote speaker. So we're, we make our living as keynote speakers and authors, yep. but we have other, other businesses. We have a training program called certified rockstar. We talked about Buki call, which is our app. Um, and then we've got thoughts at rock. So we don't have everything in one bucket as well. If, if everything was to go down in all those areas, we'd be in trouble. But in fact, we know for, for, you know, uh, a hard fact that when COVID was here and there were no events, no mm -hmm. speaking, no income whatsoever. Thank God that we had other things that we could go and play with. And I almost think this last thought positioning your business in, in front of a fad that hopefully becomes a trend is kind of where we are, maybe even more than the other two. I, I think you said it best. We probably are perceived as a fad. We might be a little bit early, but as more and more people gravitate to it, and if we can get the right people and even some of the, the big five publishers, we still work with them. But when we get the right person that says, I can't believe this thing exists and it's been out here for a year and a half. Exactly. And hasn't done something with you, I think this is a great opportunity for us. So, uh, you know, all three of these thoughts are, are fantastic. And I know you've got so many places that we can send people so many businesses, but if people wanted to learn, I don't know, a little bit more about you, Paul, or maybe just about your particular businesses, where would you like us to send them? Well, the, uh, you know, PBN3 or Paul Barron Network is is kind of our, our new growth vehicle, which is uh, the blockchain Web3 component that we're spending a lot of time in, because I think it that platform is going to seep into Saver um, and also into Fast Casual Nation, Chef AF, all of our, you know, decentralized platform and media products now, yeah. just because of how blockchain and Web3 will be growing. And we are spending a lot of time. That's about... I would say uh, 60, 70% of my time right now is spent on the PBN uh, side of things, primarily because of, you know, I've spent three years educating myself on where blockchain was going. And it, we were early on blockchain in 2012 and 13 when it really launched. Uh, when Bitcoin first got going, I was always intrigued because I, I identify these fads early. I picked it and I said, hey, maybe I should buy some of this Bitcoin. And I, I looked at it so hard and I thought, you know, it's a fad. Mm -hmm. And I backed away from it. Boy, was I wrong. Now yeah. this thing has absolutely reshifted dynamically. And now it's in the, you know, it's in the global conversation with gold and digital assets yeah. that are $12 trillion. I'm like, okay, what in the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that's 10 years later. But if you look at the last three years, when we really got into uh, focusing on blockchain, and understanding what blockchain was, because you know what spoiled me on blockchain 
was the restaurant industry. And here's why. Mm-hmm. When in 2008 and nine, or I'm sorry, 2016 and 17, 2016 and 17, blockchain was being introduced into the restaurant industry by companies like IBM. And it was going to, you know, was going to handle source material, all these kind of things. When I started looking at it at that time, because I was heavily involved in food service at the time and tech, and I started looking at the basis of where that was going to go. And I thought, this is way too early. These guys are going to, they're going to burn out. They're, they're way too early. This is one of the, it, it doesn't match rule number one, consumer demand and innovator. It had the innovators, but it had no consumer understanding. So it flamed and IBM uh, got away from it. And uh, most of the companies that were starting to work on it just, you know, detached. And, you know, three, four years later, before 2020, all those companies were just gone. Now you have Starbucks implementing digital collectibles, which is basically an NFT uh, running on the Polygon network, which is a new decentralized platform. You've got McDonald's running in it. Um, I know you guys know Jeff Alexander over at Wow Bow. Um, he just launched or getting ready to launch his own NFT. Um, NFT Wine Club is getting ready to launch. The integration now is real. Now we're starting. And the use case, go back to, you know, fad number or item number one, you know, how to identify trends. This is what we're dealing with. It has the two markers now, which is finally there's an audience and there's innovators. And now we're in that magical creation period of curve, adoption curve. That'll be the one, where do you inject into that adoption curve? No matter what business you're in, Starbucks, they can take a flyer because they got so much money. Uh, McDonald's, they can do the same thing. In the food industry, we're going to see a lot of, of tests, a lot of fails. This is the Wild West period right now. And it's going to be fun to watch. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, man, you gave us three great thoughts. I mean, I I hadn't even thought about this topic. And and, uh, again, I know you had a couple others that you could have come to the table with, but I think helping people understand the difference in the two is spot on. And, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of different companies um, in your own sort of orbit. We'll make sure that we've obviously got all that stuff in the show notes as well. But cool. I'm so thankful that you were able to spend a little bit of time with us. I know this one, for some people, it might be heady for some of our audience members because we've had uh, how to write a hit song and how to use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life. You know, <laughs> you're, you're coming with the smart stuff, man. This I is, might actually like fun. the Brazilian and, uh, jiu-jitsu thing. That's a, that's a fantastic topic. Are you yeah, kidding? It was a great yeah. episode with our good friend, Jim Trigg, but yeah. you, you were equally as awesome, man. Thank you, Paul, for spending a little bit of time with us. And uh, man, I look forward to, to seeing you in person at some point soon. It's been a while. We will. Yeah, All it right, has been friend. a while. That's for sure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. All right. On. You bet. Take care, guys. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah. And listen, we know how busy you are and grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom that can amp up your life are super hard to come by. So we hope this episode helped you enough for you to maybe subscribe and consider leaving us a rating and a review so that we can continue to grow the show. Thus That Rock is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network and all 
also supports Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding and funding treatment options for kids who have run out of options. They're amazing. Their work is incredible. To learn more, please go to cannonballkidscancer.org. Finally, if you're interested in having Brant or Jim or both of us speak at your event, whether as a virtual webinar or an in-person conference keynote or mastermind, contact us directly at thoughtsatrock.com. Until next time, rock on! Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.